Good morning. First things first, the sermon this morning is not on the eternal place that wicked people go. This is not some evil ploy between Jeff and Joel to try to make an object lesson out of the sermon this morning. But we are thankful that you are here, and as many of you, I think, agree with me, we are thankful for the place that we have to meet, even when it is an inconvenience to us. Jerry, they sometimes say that uh, being an elder is the toughest job, or being the preacher is the toughest job, but sometimes being the guy over maintenance and air conditioning and heat is a tough job, and we are thankful for Jerry Renfro and for Gary Grove and Jeff and many others who, who help take care of our facilities, and although it's unfortunate when things don't work out, uh, we are thankful that you are here this morning. Uh, this is our largest gathering, of course, usually of the week, so uh, we'll mention again that we've got, right now, God willing, 19 who will be gone this week to McCroy Bible Camp out near the Coe River and out that way towards Reliance, Tennessee, and we would appreciate your prayers. We've had many who have already been to camp the last few weeks, and we're thankful for the good time they had and the bit that, the much that they were able to learn, and we ask for your prayers this week as well, or as several of us are gone. Uh, it is Monday to Friday, so we're here today. We'll be here tonight. We'll be here next Sunday, but a lot of us will be gone on Wednesday, and we will certainly miss being here. When we think about the Bible and we think about how much of the Bible comes and, and discusses many different things, there are a lot of statements and things sometimes that are in the Bible that, that's covered with a lot of words. It's covered in a lot of different ways. I don't know who exactly this statement is attributed tr uh, to. Uh, it's not found in the Bible, but there may not be a truer statement that can be made sometimes, that our words are a window into our hearts. Maybe you remember, I don't know that it said so much anymore, but I remember as a kid, maybe the biggest lie, when you think about it, ever told, that, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And, and we know as we even utter that, and maybe we hear children say that, that that's, that's not true at all. It is a, a big lie because we do hurt sometimes from words, and we hurt others sometimes with our words. The psalmist said in Psalm 57 and verse number 4 that the tongue is like a sharp sword. He said as well in Psalm 64 in verse number 3 that bitter words are like arrows. I don't think that's necessarily intended to be a good thing. And then Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9 in verse number 8 that the tongue is a deadly arrow. Words are uh, very powerful things. Words are a window into our heart. And what we'd like to do this morning in the few moments we have together is take a look at three different uh, men from the Bible, men that we read about in the Bible, and look at their words to see what they have to say about that. If you've got your outline in front of you, you'll see their names there, and we'll come to different passages to look at. And then we want to make three applications as well. But first of all, this morning, if you've got your Bible, you can be turning to the book of James, James chapter 3 and verses 1 through 12. We won't take the time this morning, of course, to read all of this. But when you think about our words and you think about the tongue, James 3, 1 through 12 is one of the main places that we turn to. What we want to do this morning in the few moments we have together is take a look at these three men and their words and make a couple of points from each one and move on and then we'll make the application for ourselves this morning. When you read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we notice first of all this morning that we show our self-control with our words. And with our tongue. And for a few moments, we're going to use the idea of the tongue, of course, in our words interchangeably. But, but we show our self-control when we talk about our words. You notice in verse number 3, or verses 3 and 4, that James gives us a couple of examples, real-life examples, that point out the importance and the power of words. And what it has to do with control. 
First of all, in verse number three, he talks about a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, for many of us, that doesn't make as much sense because maybe we don't deal with horses directly, but we understand the concept. We certainly understand in verse number four when James says there that we talk about ships and the rudder on a ship. Some of you have been on a cruise lately, a big cruise, those gigantic, massive cruise boats. And we think about a little rudder that can steer a big, large ship in that sense. I was thinking of maybe a more modern day example for us, a little bit of an unfortunate one. But maybe you know that family, that family who's got that little three or four or five year old who who kind of controls the family with his words and the way that he complains or whines or wants his way or her way constantly. And that little child seems to control four or five or six people and where they go and what they eat and what they do just with their little words. And we step back and we say, well, how could a little child control a family? But but oftentimes a little thing holds a lot of power. With our words, we show that we have self-control, or as we'll talk about towards the end of our lesson, we'll talk about our lack of self-control. But James makes the point here, first of all, that we show our self-control. But he says, secondly, that it's a constant battle. The struggle with self-control is a constant battle. You go on down later there in James 3 to verses 7 through 8, and James gives the example of the beast of the field, of um, the birds of the air, and those things that are wild. And we look around us, even as we think about horses, and we're able to tame certain things. I mean, who is the king of the jungle, but who is also, in, in, some, in times past, been the central aspect of a, of a circus? You think about the idea of a lion tamer. The lion may be the most powerful thing, but, but yet sometimes we can bring even a lion under control and tame him. But James says it's not so with our tongue. It's not so with our words. We can tame the beasts of the field and the birds of the air to do all kinds of things. But yet our tongue oftentimes causes us problems. In fact, he says there in James chapter 3 and verse number 8, but no man can tame the tongue. You know, we think about that. And again, it doesn't change when we talk about uh, kids and adults. We gave the example of the young boy, but, but we've said kids say the craziest things. You ever known that adult that says the craziest things sometimes or can't control their language? It doesn't matter if you're 2, 3, 4, or 5 as you learn to speak or you're 35 or 55 or 85. Sometimes we struggle with taming our tongue, and it's difficult. I think you would agree with me that James is not saying that no man can do it because it's impossible, but certainly it is a constant battle. And whether we're young or old, male or female, we sometimes struggle with our self-control and our words. Secondly, go with me to Matthew chapter 12. I had to say very carefully, of course, that we're not looking at three Bible writers because in Matthew 12, we're going to look at the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is recorded for us, of course, by Matthew, but it is the words of Jesus in verses 33 through 37. Jesus here says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. 
You notice here, of course, the title of our lesson. I struggled a little bit with what exactly to title it, but as I was thinking about the words of Jesus here, and we're going to make the point, point this morning, are we justified by our words or are we condemned? Jesus says here, as we think about Matthew chapter 22, verses 33 through 37, that first of all, we are known by our words. He says it there very plainly in verse 33, that a tree is known by its fruit. It's a biblical principle. We see it in Genesis. We see it all the way in the words of Jesus. We know it's true today that things produce after their kind. A tree is known by its fruit. Just as much as if I were to travel to New York City or London, England, and I were to say, y'all ain't from around here, they would know I was from the South in the United States of America. Uh, we went down to Disney World a few uh, weeks ago, and I had on a Boston hat. I coached Caden in baseball, and we were the Boston Red Sox. I had a Boston hat on, and this guy stopped me said, ah, Boston. He had a New York name tag on. I thought, if I opened my mouth, he would know I'm not from Boston. You know, He would hear that accent and know. A tree is known by its fruit, and we are known by our words. And in an accent kind of way, it's a little humorous. It is. It's kind of funny to think about. But, but we are known by our words. Jesus said there, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We think about what we said at the very beginning, that our words are a window into our heart. No matter how much we try, we can pretend. We can put on a good face. We can be a hypocrite, as that word states, and do one thing in front of people. But oftentimes, our words will betray us. They will condemn us. Or we can be justified by them, as Jesus says here. We are known by our words. Maybe you can think of somebody that you like to be around who uses kind words. And not even in the flattery sense, but just kind words. They're a nice person. They speak well. And maybe you think of someone else that you'd rather avoid because their words are either hurtful or harmful or they're just kind of biting or just kind of angry about things. And you know that person. And you may know that they're a good person with other things they do, but you can't get away from their words because a tree is known by its fruit. Jesus says as well here that we are judged by our words. In verse number 35, he makes it very plain and simple that from good comes good, from bad comes bad. And then on down in verses 36 and 37, will you be justified or will you be condemned? And of course, Jesus is driving home the point. It's your choice. It's your choice. You know, in a lesson on words of the tongue, there's oftentimes the, the usual joke that preachers make about how many words a male speaks and how many words a female speaks. But, but I would suffice it to you to say this morning, when it comes to our words and our choice of words... I saw one statistic that said that in our lifetime, in our lifetime, that we might utter around 450 million words. 450 million words. Now, that's a large number. It's hard to fathom. And you look at it and you say, well, that's a lot. But I would caution you this morning that when we talk about being judged by our words, justified or condemned, God's going to have a pretty good sample size to go on. If we're judged by our words, God's going to have a pretty good idea of how you've used your words. We talked last week about does God hear the prayers of sinners. And we said that God hears. We looked at the different, different definitions of hearing. But we said God hears. I think God hears a few moments ago as we sat here together and sang praises unto him. I think God hears when we use language that is not appropriate. Especially his name. And again, we'll come back to that in just a few moments. 450 million words gives a pretty good sample size for us to either be justified or condemned. And Jesus drives home that point here in Matthew chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, you can go over to the letters by Paul to those in Ephesus and those in Colossians. They're probably very close 
in your Bible. We're going to look at them together here. Ephesians 4, 29 and chapter 5. And then we're going to go on over to Colossians. But maybe if you're jotting those down, I'll give you just a moment. But, but not only does James give us some encouragement about our words, and Jesus, of course, as well, the master teacher, but even, yes, the Apostle Paul talks about how we should be careful with the things we say and the importance of paying attention to our words. You know, all of these points kind of overlap to some degree and all of them kind of connect in the way that we should consider our words. But when we come to the Apostle Paul, Paul says, first of all, that we, we show whose we are with our words. If you've got your Bibles there, we're going to look first at Ephesians 5, the passage in Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. Because there Paul says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Do you recall or remember hearing this from your parents? I, I even heard it to someone that said it here lately. You know, your, your child goes away to Bible camp or they go away to school and you tell them, remember whose you are. And we say that a lot. But, but do we really understand what that means and practice that? Because our words show whose we are. When our parents say that or your grandparents say that or you say that to someone else, that's what we're talking about. Remember whose you are. And one way you show that is by your words. Notice here that Paul said in verse number three at the end, avoid these things at the beginning, but then at the end, as is fitting for saints. Are you a saint? We don't oftentimes like to call ourselves that. We don't think of ourselves that way. It's another lesson for another time. But, but the Bible does refer to, to followers of Christ, those who are Christians, as saints. So we need to speak in a way that is fitting for saints. There is a way that we should use our words that is fitting for saints. We need to recognize that. Paul gives some advice here in verse number 4 about filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. I oftentimes remind you that I read from the New King James Version most of the time from the pulpit, so you may have some different words there, but you get the concept. But we show whose we are. Take a moment and go over to Colossians, the passage in Colossians chapter 3 there, and verses 8 through 10. Paul continues the same thought. By the way, those in Ephesus needed to hear it, just like those in Colossae, just like those in Saudi Daisy or in Chattanooga or anywhere else around the world. Paul says, but now you yourselves. What's the but? We'll go back up a few verses, verses and notice that he's talking about sons of disobedience. He says, here are sons of disobedience, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Paul says here that you should not be sons of disobedience, but that you should put on the new man. We, we like that. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans, about the new versus the old. We show whose we are. We are a new creature. There should be a change in our lives when we belong to Christ. That deals with what we, where we are on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. What we say as well. All of those things are changed when we put off the old and put on the new. It shows us whose we are, that we belong to Christ. But secondly, this morning, Paul says that we affect others with our words. Notice there in Colossians 3, 8 through 10, do not lie to one another. 
The sermon this morning could go on for a long time if we were to list all the different things that we could say with our mouths and the way we would use our words. But one way is that we lie to one another. But go back to Ephesians chapter 4, the first passage that was listed on the screen. Ephesians 4.29. When we think about the different ways that we can harm others, there are lots of those. But Paul says here in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but... What is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Paul says here that we affect others with our words. We have a chance to impart grace to those who are hearing. Again, think about people that you know. Of course, I'm asking you first and foremost to think about yourself. But think about others that you know. Do your words impart grace to the hearers? There are many different ways that we affect others with our words. You think about the person who is lonely, maybe sitting to themselves, either as a kid on the playground or in the lunchroom or at work. You think about the person who is lonely that you can encourage. We think about fellow members here that show up on Wednesday night and we can tell they're a little disheartened. Something's going on in their brain. We take a moment with our words and we pause to edify and encourage them. We think about our spouses in the other sense that we sometimes reserve the harshest words for those that are closest to us. And we harm and we mean, as we said earlier from the psalmist, like deadly arrows to pierce someone with our words. We affect others with our words. And we need to consider that. Both James or, or James and Jesus and Paul, all three, give us some really deep thoughts here to consider when it comes to our words and how we use them, how we affect others. And of course, first and foremost, what it says about our relationship with our God. But this morning, I'd like for us to take the last few moments and make a few applications. We, we know, I mean, that was six things that we listed very quickly there that we learned from these three men. But, but what is it really telling us? What is it saying to us? First of all, this morning, when we curse, we show a lack of respect for God. Now, for our purpose this morning, I'm using this idea of curse as kind of a catch-all phrase. That may not be the best, and I apologize for that. But, but I'm talking about four-letter words. That's what we'd say a lot of times. I'm talking about actually speaking the name of God in an irreverent fashion. Talking about lots of different things. But we ourselves show a lack of respect for God when we take time, when we put forth effort to curse in that kind of sense. When you think about the Bible using the word curse, there's a lot of cursing to one another. So again, I'm taking a, a broader aspect of this. But, but we do it sometimes. Maybe it's a slip of the tongue. Maybe it's a practice. But we have to be careful because we do not want to show that lack of respect for God. I'll even tell you one on myself. I'll never forget being a kid. I was I don't, I don't even know the age, but I can think I can still remember being in the car with my mother. And I said, oh, my God. And I don't even know why I said it or how I said it. It was not in the correct fashion. But I said, oh, my God. And, of course, my mother jumped all over me. And she said, well, what are you doing? How in the world could you use God's name in that way? And I said, but, Mom, we sing those words. And I was a younger person who knew the song, many of you do, Unto the O Lord. Where it says, oh, my God. I'm like, well, we say it in church. I ought to be able to say it in the car, you know. I was like, no, that's not how it works. I didn't understand at the time. But yes, we may say that phrase, but how are we using it? Because when we use it in a flippant fashion, we are showing a lack of respect for God. 
In Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 7, we talked about this a while back in our study on Exodus. But Moses was given the commandment on Mount Sinai, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And, and we stop there a lot. But it goes on to say, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Some of you know the name Guy in Woods, a, a pretty well-known preacher uh, from long ago. But Guy in Woods said it this way, Jehovah has ever regarded with the greatest displeasure any disposition on the part of man to use his name in a flippant, frivolous, and profane fashion. The first commandment of the Decalogue, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments was designed to protect the sanctity of God's being. And that first commandment was to have no other gods before me. The second forbade man to approach him through some human device. Thou shalt have no graven images or no idols. And the third, thou shalt not take the name of Jehovah thy God in vain, was formulated to guarantee respect and reverence for his name. He is the God of creation. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the righteous judge. He is the rock of our salvation. He is God and Father and he deserves to be addressed in a proper fashion. Maybe you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and, and verse number 9. Or really in Luke 11 is where it's recorded for us. And the apostles say, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus begins by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy and honored be thy name. Not only though. Will we sometimes use God's name? And again, I'm not talking about in our singing that we did a few moments ago. But not only will we sometimes utter it, which by the way, the Jews wouldn't even do. And again, we've talked about this before as well. But the Jews created their own word in a way, Yahweh, Jehovah, to address him because they wouldn't even utter his name. And not only will we do it, but we will abuse it oftentimes in our everyday life. Time and time again, we will take the holy and reverent name of God and abuse it and throw it around in a profane or flippant fashion. The question this morning is, do you love God and how do you show it? Do you show it by tossing his name around at every trouble or inconvenience? Or do you show it to him by paying honor and respect? And by the way, I feel many times that we do share his name or others do use his name just in every inconvenience. You're surprised sometimes when you hear it, when people use it. They say the word God or the word Jesus in that type of way when something simple has happened in their life that just gives them a little bit of trouble. But they're going to take the name of Jehovah God and throw it around in a flippant fashion. We need to be careful that when we curse God or when we curse, that, we're not, that we don't do it because we're showing a lack of respect for Him. Secondly this morning... When we use euphemisms, we show a lack of control. And I hope you can see the font there so you can spell euphemisms. Many of you are familiar with that word. But I want you to, to take it down and take it in. Because let's not be mistaken this morning. This principle applies to men and to women, to teenagers, to every young person here, to all of us. This idea applies to every single one of us. If I could borrow from my, my friend Cliff Goodwin for a few moments, and some of you heard him a few weeks ago at North Hamilton, but he says, I love you, and I say it with all love. I say it with all love in my heart for you, but sometimes it's got to be said. Euphemisms are a substitution 
The substitution of a word or phrase for something that is less offensive or less distasteful or less offensive than what we would normally say. And don't get me wrong, sometimes those are not all bad. And I'll give you one example, even from the Bible a little bit. We oftentimes won't say that a person has died, that person's dead. We'll say they've passed away. In fact, the Bible even speaks or goes so far as to talk about them being asleep. I don't think that's a a way that that the Bible writers were trying to soften the blow so much, but they do use what we might call a euphemism, a substitution, as opposed to saying that person's dead. We say they passed away. So maybe not all of them are bad. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about a way to soften the harshness of cursing. You know, I'm not sure if it's the desensitizing that we've gone through in this world, and that's all of us, myself included. I'm not sure that if it's the fact that it's on our television or or on our devices, the movies, the music 24-7. I'm not sure if it's the fact that we hear it all around us at work, at the ball field, in the gym, when we go to Walmart. Everywhere around us we hear this type of language, but friends, brothers and sisters this morning, let me be clear and say it with all love. What we have done for sure is we as Christians have adopted the world's way of talking. We have taken what we hear around us and brought it into our lives. And we've adopted the crass, harsh, irreverent, and flat out sometimes hurtful, sinful words. An attempt to soften the blow for those around us. And the holy God of heaven is not pleased when we cannot control ourselves and our tongue in a difficult situation that we find ourselves in. We know that it's a fruit of the Spirit, right, to practice self-control, Galatians 5. But what are we supposed to have self-control over? We sing the song and we say self-control, but what is it that we practice self-control over? James would say it's the tongue. It's our words. When we, what we need here is parents who encourage kids. What we need here is kids who will encourage each other and set the proper example for all of us setting the proper example for us, for others around us with our language and with our words. What am I talking about? Well, I don't want to be inappropriate in worship. I don't intend to be inappropriate to make light of anything, but at the risk of not getting the point across, I'd like to share a few examples with you this morning. These are some of the examples, and this is by no means an exhaustive list at all. And I would be lying to your face to stand here this morning in front of you and say that I have never uttered one of these words before. But we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what are we doing with our words? Are we practicing self-control? Because if you recall, going back to our definition on euphemisms, even good old Webster says that these words are less offensive or less distasteful. So they're still offensive. They're still distasteful sometimes. They're still wrong for us to use, but they're in a lesser sense. So we feel like it's okay. I don't want to be inappropriate. I don't want to go through everything, especially for those who may not even be able to read all of these words. But I want you to understand this morning that when we cannot control our tongues, we are treading in dangerous water. We are walking over dangerous ground. And as we're going to make the last point together this morning, and the lesson will be yours, We lose our influence when we talk like the world. If you could sum everything up that we've said thus far together, we lose our influence when we talk like the world. Any chance 
we have of sharing the gospel with someone, of being different, of showing how a Christian should behave, any chance we have of talking to someone about becoming a Christian would just go right out the window if we're going to talk like everybody else. We had a lesson a couple of months ago on modesty, and one of the points we made was that our clothing presents an image before God and an image to the world, and we're right back to the same point again. Our language presents an image before God and an image to the world. And the question is, what type of influence do we have? We lose it when we cannot control our tongue. Sometimes it's those harsh words that are still not even allowed on evening television sometimes. Certainly not daytime television. And even we use the euphemisms that we sometimes practice. Can we control our tongues? Are we stopping to consider our language? Remember the word of James in James 1 and verse number 19, that we be slow to speak. Do we practice that in our lives? Whether it's the flat out cursing or using of God's name in vain or the euphemisms or the hateful language or the backbiting or the gossip or whatever it is in our lives, we've got to set it aside. We must practice self-control and we must remember the caution of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we will be judged by our words, whether they be good or whether they be bad. The wise man in Proverbs said, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. We would do wise, we would do well very often to consider that first and then let everything else flow. We must be careful with the language that we use. This morning, as we conclude our lesson and we are about to sing this song of encouragement, we sing together to encourage anyone in this audience who might need to make a change. Maybe it has to do with your words. Maybe it doesn't. That's not so much a concern as we sing this song of invitation as much as the concern is, what is your relationship with God? There are some things on the screen that we call sometimes steps, the plan of salvation. Maybe you're at a different point on that list. Maybe you've done a few things or considered a few things, but we would implore you and be singing to encourage you in just a moment that you would go all the way to becoming a Christian, being added to the church by being baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe you see all this, you say, I don't know, I'd like to talk about it. We do that with you this morning and today even as well because it is the greatest commitment. It begins that life of self-control. It begins that path to heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. We'll be singing to encourage you. Maybe, brother or sister, you are a Christian and you've wandered away. Maybe it's your words, maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else in your life that's amiss, sin that separates you from God. We'll be singing to encourage you as well, that you would make a change, that you would repent of your sin, confess it to God, and pray to him for forgiveness, and he is faithful to do just that. We can change, whether it's our words, our actions, whatever it may be in our life, you can make a change, even now as we stand together and as we sing.